Hey guys, this is Travis and Kyle with CAD Stories. Today we are with a special guest and very fortunate to meet Jamie Hansen. He's actually very well known in the CAD community and he was actually part of 325 Camera and we're just really excited to meet him today. So why don't we just get ahead and get to it, Kyle, why don't you start us off? Yeah, so I guess I kind of wanted to put this in two parts. I'm not familiar with his backstory, but I know he's been involved in a lot of Korean adoptee, I guess you can call it political stuff and organizations. So I kind of wanted to talk about that. But first off, I kind of wanted to ask him and describe a little bit about his childhood. Apparently, it was not a terribly good adoption story. And I was just wondering if you could uh, kick us off from there, if you could describe it. Sure. So I grew up in a very tiny farming community mm -hmm. in north central Minnesota, a little town called Battle Lake. Okay. And, you know, uh, when you're in that very small community, number one, you become an outsider immediately. You don't look the same. I mean, you get the looks when you walk into a restaurant because you look different. Yeah, it was tough growing up within that small uh, farming community. The kids, you know, they bullied me all the time. You know, the classical stories that you hear about bullying where the kid gets shoved in the locker. You know, nobody called me by my name. I mean, I was basically everybody called me Rice Bowl. That was my name, I guess, going through the public school system. And uh, yeah, it was extremely tough. And then it was even worse going back home because my parents, I don't really like to give them that title because they're not deserving of that, were very neglectful and also abusive. So they did th stuff like, for instance, like sick the dog on me and they would just laugh when the dog would attack me. They thought that was quite funny. Um, That's horrible. What kind of parents are these? How were they able to adopt you? Can so, you explain that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, so they, they, they couldn't have kids of their own. My adopted mother had multiple miscarriages and so her grandparents paid for the adoption and said, hey, here's another route, go ahead and take these kids. So I don't know if it was forced on them or whatever, but they were probably two couples that should have never had children, period. Uh, about your family structure, were you the only kid? Or no, have, I was oh, adopted oh. with my biological sister. Oh, wow, so how has that relationship then? Has that uh, been helpful for you? Or? No, because the problem was is that our parents would pit us against each other constantly mm -hmm. and I would say the best way of explaining growing up was like being in a like uh, during the times when the Nazis were around um, what I mean by that was they were kind of like the SS they would put booby traps around the house to make sure that we weren't watching TV or you know, like if I asked for a snack, I would be actually punished for that because they're like, well, we don't feed you. That was their initial response. And then so if you were hungry, you know, maybe we get some ice cream or something to eat, right? Well, they would always like, for instance, position like the ice cream mm -hmm. box a certain way so that they know that it was moved or things like that. So it's kind of ironic. I don't know if you know much about Jamie Hansen. I know that he's been in the military, but it's kind of like you kind of grew up kind of in that kind of environment that's really strict and it's kind of interesting that you chose that route. And Yeah, so th the main reason why I chose the military was, you know, I wanted to go to college, but again, my high school counselor was just a total jerk. He's like, look, y you're not deserving to go to college. You're really dumb. You should 
take a technical skill and things like that. Did you have a disability growing up or no, no how disability. Were your grades then? Yeah, horrible. So really? if I didn't get an A in shop you seem smart to me. Yeah. So if I didn't get an A in shop, I would have had to take, you know, my senior year all over again. I had a two point one GPA growing up. So I was basically just passed from one grade to the next. Is the reason why you didn't want to study hard? It's probably the craziness at home. Is well, that probably why? It, it wasn't. It wasn't that I didn't want to study. The problem was a. I got no help at home. B. I was extremely tired because I had to work on the farm. So I got up at oh, wow. four thirty in the morning, milked the cows, fed the cows, all that stuff, and then just scarf down my food, jump on the school bus, and get get to school. And then you know. Is so, the reason why your dad couldn't? do that or why he make you do it so all of us had to pitch in and work i mean a farm operation typically involves everybody pitching oh, in okay. but um did you hate it growing up doing oh yeah it, 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 i mean you're filthy all the time so you you went to school smelling like cow manure and so you're one of two kids adopted correct that's correct yeah. okay yeah was your sister kind of treated in the same way when she was younger or you don't know or um so experience may be different she did but everybody takes adversity and things a little bit differently so she had a much harder time coping Mm -hmm. even though i felt she had a little bit easier because her main job was doing house chores you know cooking cleaning that kind of stuff and where mine was much more you know hard labor you know lifting hay bales you know you're lifting like twelve thousand hay bales in a single day during hay season or you might be going out there and putting fence in and or painting the barn or whatever it may be doing so it was a lot more manual labor for Mm -hmm. me but you know she took the stress and all those issues and kind of internalized it much more than i did so there's a lot of kids that i know unfortunately you seem to actually worry about to like come out the other end stronger but there's a lot of kids that kind of are stuck in that kind of negative mentality they and they end up blame everything and they end up going into the the self-destructive road is that what your sister did like drugs alcohol yeah. and yeah it wasn't or? drugs and alcohol okay. what hers was was in failed relationships so she was like married like four times well, uh, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you agree that adoptions is also part of that too being adopted can initiate some problems with relationships due it to can abandonment. so it goes back to just like any other type of uh, hardships out there so like soldiers a lot of them will go to battle and and some of them will have uh, PTSD we realize that some of that deals with resilience and how you internalize and how you respond to some of those issues and problems so what is your take on it like why do you think you adapted so much better than people that really struggle? What What is the secret? You're strong or that, had no, no mental health issues? or No, I, I've been thinking about that for a long time, and I attribute it to three areas. One was because I was working outside, I was playing around with uh, the kittens. Okay. And I had a pet cat. Well, if you think about a, a pet, and most people have pets, I mean... That's really a form of bonding and love and caring, right? And so I had this pet cat that I raised from a kitten. And every day when I'm doing my chores, it would crawl up my leg and sit on the shoulder. And it would sit on my shoulder while I was doing the work. you know. And so that's bonding that I had that my sister never had because of the type of work that I did. The second thing that I attributed to is ability to go to the library. but. I always grabbed as many books as I could. Literally, there were times where I had 30 books this in my arms. This is when arms. you were a kid, correct? Yeah, so oh, that was okay. one of the luxuries that I was give, afforded because mm-hmm. my mother liked to read. 
And so we would go to the library only once a month. But every time that we went, I would grab as many books that I could. And on my spare time, I did a lot of reading. So I read and I realized that there was another world out there for me mm -hmm. that I could experience once I left that hellhole. So that was the second uh, attribute that helped me kind of go over through, you know, over that hump. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing was as actually my grandmother. So she was a positive influence. She was a positive like. influence. She like, for instance, like during my birthday one year, she bought me a little motorcycle and I rode that up and down and, and that just allowed me to just forget about the world mm -hmm. for a moment in time and just ride as fast as I could on that motorbike and go up and down that dirt road. I realized that my grandmother sacrificed a lot to get me that little motorbike, even though it wasn't very expensive. But I realized at that moment that it's not about the color of the skin, mm -hmm. it's about love, right? And it goes back to what you internalize, what you understand. And I realized at that moment that it didn't matter that my parents were white, mm -hmm. that wasn't why they were hateful and and neglectful and mean people. That's just who they were as people. And that's why I realized it didn't matter about the skin color of people. You didn't think because you weren't their blood that that they might didn't care the about you as didn't much give and you the love that you probably deserved? Or you don't think that's part of it? Several things. Just, Were they uh, coming from abusive uh, families as no, well? No, they didn't come from wow. abusive families at all. So your mom's, the grandma seems pretty nice. That's she, crazy. Yeah. So my grandmother was a wonderful human being and I kept in touch with her, you know, all, you know, all her life. Mm -hmm. She passed away, unfortunately, in 2014. But yeah, she was just a remarkable woman that was just full of love for me. I realized that, like I said, I realized the sacrifices that she made and that even though there was externally, you know, like I said, the kids that abused me in school were white, the teachers that were, and the counselor that was mean was white, my parents were white. I realized at that point it's an individual thing that you can make that determination if you're going to be a good person and treat people, you know, equally and fairly, regardless of the color of their skin, right? So I learned that from an early age from my grandmother okay. and, and I attributed to her. So, yeah. So did you lose your way? Like, like after 18, did you say immediately, I'm going to go to the, the military? Is that what you're in your thought process or did you? So it goes back to that school counselor. He said, hey, look, you're not that bright. You need to do something else. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to go to college because reading all these different books and stuff like that, I was very intrigued about these things that I learned about, right? And I was told by my parents, there's no way that we're going to help you go to college. Uh, we have no money. You're not going to get anything from us. So I had to find my own way. And so at age 17, I joined the Army Reserve. I went to basic training between my junior and senior year. And then on my senior year, once I graduated, I went to AIT. And then I started my journey in the Army, right? My unit got activated and I was immediately sent to Desert Storm when I was 18 years old. So, and then I came back from Desert Storm and I worked towards my you know, multiple degrees. So I went back and I was initially a cook for the army. They sent me to the wrong school. I was supposed to be an engineer. And that's a big mistake. Yeah, man. it's a huge mistake for the army. You yeah. couldn't get out of that or the so, heck? Well, the thing is, you know, I'm very low ranking. I don't have a lot of say in the matter. And all the document that they had said that I was going to be a cook. So I went and did the best that I could. Okay. I actually graduated top of my class. I went to learn how to 
work with a master chef for an additional 10 weeks. Oh, wow. And then I uh, came back and cooked for with my reserve unit. But what made you want to adapt to that lifestyle? Like, even though it wasn't your first thing to do, cooking. You, what made yes. you, you what seem made like a you, person that's like. What made you want to excel things. at that? Even though it wasn't your first choice. So you know what? Sometimes you have to do things that you dislike, and just because you dislike it doesn't mean you can't do a good job. So, you know, growing up on a farm, having to work, getting up at 4.30 in the morning, I had a really good work ethic already. And so I just went the best that I can. And I was able to later on, uh, when I went to the IG, they did allow me to switch my MOS. And then I, I did work for a while working in administration. Okay. Then I moved over and became a combat medic. And then they sent me to school to be a nurse. I was an LPN for some time. Oh, wow. And then later on, I did get picked up for green to gold and I became an officer. So I uh, switched over and now I work as a CFO or chief financial officer and I manage hospitals and their finances. So I manage their personnel, HR mm -hmm. department. I manage the budget and accounting. I manage all their statistical analysis, their UBO and their reimbursables and other things. So. I'm yeah. curious, like, I just want to say that earlier you mentioned that you had racism growing up. Did any of that happen in the military? Or yeah, sure. The, so you was that also affecting you, by the way? Or were you able to adapt and overcome the resilience of that? Or Yes. Yeah, so, yes, of course, racism is very much alive in the U.S. military. Mm -hmm. uh, let me start out with the story. So yeah, go ahead. when I was enlisted, I was sent to South Korea. And when I was in South Korea... I was wearing civilian clothing. I jumped on the bus. In the evenings, what I did was I taught at the community center. I taught conversational English, and I was teaching the local nationals, you know, how to speak English and stuff like that. And so I was trying to be constructive during my spare time, build up on how to learn to write and speak and things like that. And so when I was teaching that, I jumped on the bus. I was in plain clothes. One of the, there was several other individuals on that bus. It was a black officer who was actually the monitor on the bus. And then a very high ranking enlisted soldier, much higher. He was an E7. And I think I was an E4 maybe at the time. So that's three ranks above me. He was drunk. Yeah, I could tell that he was drunk. And he started just beating me in the face and calling me the F word and stuff. He said, you Katusas, you all think, you know, you're better than us and all that stuff. Well, I wasn't a Katusa. So what a Katusa yeah. is, is Korean augmentee to the United States Army. And what they are, a Korean soldier on loan to the United States Army. They work alongside with us. And so this sergeant first class immediately started beating me and punching me in the face. And so... Is that considered illegal now? Or yeah, well, it was oh. illegal then, too. Oh, were there consequences for this? There was no consequences. The black officer just kind of, like, said nothing. And, you know, I pushed him away from myself. I hopped up the bus, and I walked Was there back. any experience with white peers, like having racist remarks against you or was that less frequent? Yeah, so yeah, I mean, they say, you know, I mean, they call you names behind your back and stuff like that, you know, they call you gook or chink or, you know, just like, you know, the bullying that I faced when I was a young child. Was your childhood actually harder than the military? Because it sounds like it maybe trained your child maybe trained you to prepare for the military, or is that not true? So or? the military is 
has been much better in controlling racism and stuff like that. So we have what is called equal opportunity. We have individuals that monitor that and you can complain to someone. When I was younger, I didn't know about those systems. Plus, I was very scared to kind of like to report anything up because A, I didn't know who to go to and B, I felt that it would just make my life worse, mm -hmm. right? And so it was very hard and I had to just kind of take it in the chops. But yeah, growing up in that small, tiny farming community was much harder and much worse. I mean, like every day during my, when I was in high school, mm -hmm. every day of my life, I ate alone on a separate table, only by myself. Like nobody would sit next to me. Nobody would talk to me. Did you have a lot of feelings of loneliness and... Uh, of and, course. And what about anger? Did you ever lash out at all? Or you seem like such a tough guy to me, actually. I'm yeah. actually really surprised with all the stuff that happened to you. But. Yeah, so when I was, look, when I joined the Army, it's genetics, right? I weighed 112 pounds. I'm the same height that I am today. So really, I was just really a toothpick, right? And so, yeah, farm kids are very strong, mm -hmm. period. But they have, you know, the American breed where they're just bigger, right? Mm -hmm. They play football. There's no way I can go against a linebacker, right? And so, yeah, I just kind of forced to take it in the chops all the time. That builds humility. Mm -hmm. But during my childhood, I did think a lot about suicide. Oh, okay. I, I mean, that always comes to mind. I thought about running away. I thought about, you know, ending my life, but, you know. Did you ever come close to tempting or was there always something that held you back fear of dying or fear and are you religious at all or no i'm not really religious okay. today but back then i was so yeah i had that fear of you know hey maybe i'm gonna go to hell if i kill myself and things like that but it wasn't the fear of dying it was fear of for me it was not being able to really live my life that i wanted to live i wanted to try that i wanted to go out there and i knew that was you know, such thing as love and, you know, experience, you know, great things out that I read about, you know, like I wanted to visit the pyramids in Egypt, which I've done. I wanted to go out there and see the ruins in Angkor Wat, which I've done. Go see the Great Wall of China, which I've done and all those type of things. So that's amazing. So what kept you alive or really hope is probably through all those books that you actually read. That's probably another solution that some people could actually try to invest in is read. Well, again, we're all motivated differently mm -hmm. and it depends on the individual, right? Mm -hmm. And some people are maybe more emotional and uh, relationship, which I also wanted, again, having that cat and, you know, just having that love for that cat and that pet, right? And that's why I post a lot of pictures of cats mm -hmm. and videos of cats because I just love cats. Uh, I'm deathly allergic to them and uh, I have to get shots and take medication every single day, but to me it's worth it. The thing is, is that, you know, we all are moved by something mm -hmm. and use it to a positive view and trying to get yourself to a good place, right, as an individual. So I learned how to do that. I read like a lot of uh, motivational self-help books mm -hmm. when I was younger, extensively on that about how to obtain your goals mm -hmm. and things like that. So I did read a very broad range of topics and was interested, you know, in everything in life. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that kept me going.
I'm curious, let's jump into another topic, like his interest in the CAD community. Did that happen in the military as well, early, later on, or someone in between? And I said you didn't go to any CAD uh, groups when you were younger. No, I went to zero CAD groups. I didn't even know that there were that many CADs even in the state of Minnesota, right? Mm -hmm. So, because I just lived a very sheltered life. So let me explain how I got motivated. Was prior to the mid-90s, I was given a chance to uh, go to West Point. Mm -hmm. I was given a chance. I had a full ride scholarship at St. John's University. I had lots of opportunities, but I knew that if I took an enlistment, which is you know very low ranking, that I had the chance to pick or select which place that I wanted to go. So I waited for my opportunity to do that. In the meantime, while I was going to school. So that's when I went and became an EMT. I was a nurse's aide. I was a nurse. I got my associate's degree in biology mm -hmm. and a bunch of other stuff, right? And finally that opportunity came where I was allowed to go on active duty as an enlisted soldier. So I selected South Korea. And I thought, this is my only chance to see the country of my birth, to go ahead and try to find my biological family. And this was in the 90s, correct? Mid-90s. How old were you? Do, do you uh, I was early 20s. Early 20s, okay. Yeah. So it was actually pretty young then, because there's a lot of cats that seem to start their journey late. Yeah. Even after 40s or 50s, they haven't even gone sure. back to So career. what made you have this urge to... Oh, because, you know, I tell people, like, for some of us, it's like that salmon, it's swimming against the stream, and it's going against all odds to get back to its place of birth, mm -hmm. right? To lay its eggs. And for some of us, it's innate where, oh my gosh, I want to know who I am. You know, I want to know, you know, what my countrymen are like. I want to experience, you know, all those things, right? And so I went to, again, back to South Korea in the mid-90s and... I was sent to the very close DMZ in a city called Tongdushan in Camp Casey. As a medic, I was told that I had to go through a 30-day rotation so they can test my skills at the clinic. So I went to the clinic, and at that clinic, I had a rotation through the pharmacy. Mm -hmm. The pharmacist's name is Mrs. Kim, and she goes, are you Korean? I said, yes, ma'am, I'm Korean. And she goes, Oh, are you looking for your family? I said, ma'am, I, I really would love to know who my family is. And she goes, oh, well, she so happened to have went and got her PhD with the president of uh, Eastern Child Welfare Services at that time. And so I already did the research. I found my adoption paperwork on my own because my family didn't give it to me. And I gave her all those documents mm -hmm. and gave it to her. And then she gave it to her friend at Eastern Child Welfare Service, the president. When they looked in the file, there was a phone number that was written, and it was to a church. That was my aunt's church. She still continues to go to that church to this day. Wow. And so when they called there looking for my last name, there was only one individual with that last name. And fortunately, it's not completely obscure, but it's not as common as a Kim or a Park or a Lee. Mm -hmm. It's Yoon. So she was only Yoon in that small church. They were able to reach my aunt. My aunt then come and got me, introduced me to my biological father. And so, you know, I've experienced that reunion. I've, you know, and of course, what you think in your head, mm -hmm. 
could be a million things you know you say am i part of royalty was my you know and some people will think the opposite they might think was my mom a prostitute right because these are the stories that we're all told in 95 percent of the time 99 percent of the time it's incorrect yep right because overwhelming majority of the korean adoptees out there their moms were not prostitutes you know and so the parents who lied about that and said that automatically out of hate and spite or whatever or to put fear in their child or whatever it's false in the opposite you know uh there's a whole host of reasons why mm -hmm. it could have been a a pregnant you know girl from college it could have been a family that just didn't have the means to support themselves you know a whole host of things it could have been a very uh vengeful grandparents that disliked them the mother and got rid of the child or whatever it may be right and so there's a whole host of reasons for that what but, was the story behind uh, your adoption story why did your uh, birth family adopt you all well it goes back to my father so uh, he was actually very wealthy and successful so you know your father and your mother correct? no just my father just your father yeah. okay so my father was very wealthy and successful he was actually the president of a bank so very well to do he had four children at the time and he ran away with his i don't know probably one of his secretaries or whomever had two more kids that was my sister and myself so there's infidelity in the the marriage yeah that's kind of like you aren't us. twins were you no 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 we're not twins we're we're two, two yeah two years have been twice with yeah okay and we were actually being raised by my grandparents and and as a child, I remember this, and I always thought that was my father, but it was really my grandfather. Oh, so you were adopted pretty late, is that correct? Were I was you... four and a half years old. And you remember? I remembered wow. everything. Wow, there's I a lot of people everything. that don't. You have a really incredible memory, then. Well, it goes back to trauma, right? If you talk to people on how they absorb trauma, there's some people that says, hey, I went into this car accident, and every time just kind of stood still and everything was slow and I remembered everything, yeah. every detail, right? And then there's other individuals that said, man, I went in a car accident, I blacked out, I don't remember anything, mm. I just woke up in the hospital and I don't know what happened, right? And so, it again, it goes back on the, the DNA and how people are made mm. and, and how you uh, remember things. And so for me, I think I'm one of those individuals that just sees everything and I remembered everything because it was a traumatic experience mm. for me. And my grandfather, very wise, very knowledgeable individual. So I remember my grandmother dying oh. and that we were at her funeral. And I think he realized, oh my gosh, I got to do something for these kids because if I die, they have no support structure. I got to do something for them. And then he put us up for adoption. Oh, so your grandfather put my you up for adoption. My grandfather did. Oh. And he and one thing that he did was i thought was quite brilliant was he changed our birthdays and so my birthday is actually march 11th but he changed it to march 1st my sister's it's not very many what's the point of that so uh, i'll explain and my sister's birthday was actually august 22nd and he changed it to august 15th so in history in the korean history march 1st and august 15th are very significant this is the date in which korea declared independence and the other one was when they declared uh, when they fought against the japanese mm -hmm. and so he gave us birthdays to remind us of our korean heritage 
those are the kind of things that I remember. I mean, I realized as I dug into my past and was like, wow, did what a brilliant that, did man. Did he do that out of love or, or just? So I have a theory on that and it goes back to DNA and DNA. So, so I have, was one of the first adoptees to ever do uh, my own personal DNA. So when 23andMe opened up, I think this was like in 2007, 2008, I was one of the first individuals to pay for private DNA testing. So I did that through 23andMe and paid for that. I think back then it was like 150 bucks. And, and, and you did this test even though you already knew your parents? Yeah. Was, what, so, what was the reasoning behind doing it then? I'm well, kind of curious. Because what 23andMe did was it gives you health information oh, okay. and other things yep. that I didn't have. But what it also extracts from there though is what's cool about 23andMe is it tells you when your DNA was inserted. Mm-hmm. And so it said, for instance, like 1910s, mm-hmm. Japanese blood was inserted within my family mm-hmm. lineage. In the 1800s, Chinese blood was inserted within mm-hmm. my lineage and so on and so forth, right? And so when I look at my composite of what I'm made out of and looking at and marrying it up to history, I found so many unique things about that. So. Why would my grandfather really focus on those two dates? Well, first of all, when I look at my family tree and my DNA, there's a lot of Japanese blood in us. And that tells me that more than likely, so what a lot of people don't know unless you've studied Korean history. I, I thought it would come from Japan and then to Korea. Like, like yes. uh, that's what I thought. But. So, you know, early 1900s, you know, Japanese reigned Korea for 40 years. Yeah, long time right for a long time but what what a lot of people don't realize is the japanese also took control of about 60 percent of all the land Mm -hmm. and so they own all the factories and they were quite horrific people they would like for instance force like oh your wife looks pretty i want to have sex with her i'll give you an extra bag of rice if you do that kind of thing they actually did those kind of things. And so this notion of Japanese were only cruel during World War II Mm -hmm. is false. They were already doing these inhumane things to the Koreans when they're occupying South Korea uh, during that time Mm -hmm. frame. And so that's why Koreans, if you look at their DNA, the DNA doesn't lie but the Koreans themselves are about saving face, making sure that you don't bring dishonor to your family. And a lot of them took very great lengths to lie in their family tree that mom wasn't raped. You know, those kind of things. And, I think and they that, lied about those things. I think things. that causes problems with people's adoptions too because they just want to lie and they can't find the truth of things. Is that correct? Or- yeah, so that's where that divergence happened where I think, you know, Prior to the Japanese, you know, um, doing all those things, I don't think that kind of stuff happened as much prior to that. And I think that become much more normalized and people took that as saving face and things like that. And so 
that's a linkage that I found from reading lots of history within the about the region and what occurred. So I'm kind of curious. This is kind of off topic, but why would the Japanese be more wealthy than the Koreans? I assume they had power over the Koreans. Why? Why is that for 40 years? And plus, they live on an any... island. You think that living on an island, they're more separated, so you won't have as much resources. Do you know the reason? Yeah. Why so, that? so their military was much stronger at the time, okay. and it was much more uh, developed. So they had guns and weapons okay. and, and other things, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Korea and Japan had been kind of at each other for many centuries. I was actually kind of wondering about your personal feelings about Japanese. Do you kind of have a distaste for them? I know no, it's the Olympics, no. and yeah. I was just wondering if there's any, anything with that. No, or... I actually had a Japanese girlfriend okay. when I went to college. Mm-hmm. So I have no ill will or anger towards the Japanese now. I think Japanese do need to be accountable for what they did. Mm-hmm. They should apologize. They should pay uh, retribution, especially. I don't think to the... they have actually. No, they, they have deny not. It. They they deny it, and they should pay retribution to the comfort women. I also believe that they should go and place these black marks in their history books. But neither do Americans. Yep. Americans don't write about ah, uh, you know, uh, doing the syphilis experimentation on black people. A lot of the bad things that we did we glorify them it's written off a race in history yeah we glorify that i mean look at christopher columbus if you really studied about him he's an asshole he was horrific i mean hundreds of thousands of people were slaughtered just horrific right but that's not what we think we even have a holiday columbus day really of a guy who slaughtered hundreds of thousands of people and pretty much annihilated a whole group of native americans no, I don't think it's worth celebrating at all, and I think it's wrong. But again, it goes. Do you believe in like the white supremacy? Kind of, some people believe in America, or have you? Oh, that's. With, have you dealt with that? I think personally? it's blatantly obvious, especially what happened with the previous president being in in, in power, True. right? And all the things that was expressed during that time. You know, those individuals had it been a group of black people that rioted and forced themselves inside of Capitol Hill, mm-hmm. be a totally different outcome right now right and so to deny that any of that is in play in america today i think you're just lying to yourself now i think it's much more open now which makes it dangerous we've seen a you know huge increase in attacks on uh, asian americans mm-hmm. i mean you can't fight facts the facts are there you see that increase you see an outlash against Asian Americans due to the Chinese virus. It doesn't matter if you're Cambodian, Lao, whatever, they're just gonna group everybody in kind of the same group, right? So unfortunately, those things still happen, but each individual need to take that stance of, you know, not- Did you experience that kind of stuff like in the military? I kind of imagine being an Asian person. Sure, it was tough, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I felt like I had to work much harder than my white counterparts all the time. You just had to be, you know, tougher, stronger, harder. And I'm not the only one that says that. I mean, many, many others have expressed the same thing. It's just, I'm very vocal about it and work very hard to make sure we bring inclusiveness within the military Mm -hmm. and that we do everything we can to make things fair and to ensure that, you know, we actually uphold those values that we claim, right? So the military is all about these values, you know, call it leadership, loyalty, duty, respect, right? 
selfless service, honor, right, integrity, and personal mm-hmm. courage. Well, we could just talk about that and just state that, or we should live it, right? And so I have supported EO throughout my entire career. I even did a video spot for AFN. It's still running today on, on equal opportunity. So I really push for that. You know, I don't care if you're a woman, gay, transgender, whatever. Well, we should treat you fairly and equally, period. And um, So you thought that Trump thing was kind of BSing where, where you're kind of talking about like they were kind of against gay people joining the forces. Is that correct? And did they change that now? And no, 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 that's not changed. I think military in general has been leading the front in, in making sure that we have this, uh, uh, we include others within our ranks. So uh, they were one of the first to you know, bring women on okay. the military force, uh, blacks on the military force and so on. So, um, and I'm proud of that lineage of the army doing the right thing or the military doing the right thing. So we just need to continue down that path and there are many people out there in leadership out there who are doing the right thing, you know. Um, I think some of the, the cases that I talked about are isolated. It's not the norm. It's not every day. And that's why we are a military. People will respect you because of the rank you hold. They'll respect you because of the position you hold. And they'll respect you as, you know, for what you do and how you lead. Yeah, so that's why I love the military because we do uphold these values. Of course, you're gonna have a few bad apples here Mm -hmm. and there. I had a soldier who raped someone when I was in command Mm -hmm. in South Korea and I had to go on trial with him and kick him out of the military and stuff like that. So you do have bad apples everywhere. It's not excusing it. It's just stating a matter of fact that, you know, you have all sorts of people within your ranks. So it sounds like you have overall picture. It sounds like the military is not as corrupt as maybe like some people think yeah i don't think the military is corrupt in fact majority of the men and women that i serve with are very noble okay they want to do the right thing and they want to go out there and be able to be proud for their for their country uh while they're in uniform